Hi, friends, and welcome back to The Sandwich, hosted by me, Amanda Muse. 2020 has seen a lot, and many have experienced a range of emotions. One of those might have been fear of food scarcity. Today's guest is going to share more about this topic and how we can get involved with helping this worldwide issue. Thank you to Plan International Canada for sponsoring this episode. My guest today is Lindsay Glasgow, the President and CEO of Plan International Canada, a global children's rights and gender equality organization. Lindsay is a dynamic leader with over 25 years of experience developing and managing social policies and programs in diverse environments worldwide. Driven by a passion to make a meaningful contribution to sustainable development and social change, her work has spanned across sectors including not-for-profit, government, the UN, and the private sector. Since first beginning her international career teaching at a high school in rural Lesotho, she has lived and worked globally, visiting over 60 countries. This has enabled Lindsay to establish a strong sense of her place in the world, strengthen her appreciation for cultural differences, and further recognize the importance of human dignity, equality, and inclusion. Throughout her career, Lindsay has been rewarded for her people-oriented and collaborative management skills and was honored with the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal in 2013 for her significant contributions to community development in Canada. She seeks to bring this people-centric and community-focused approach to all facets of her life and is guided dutifully by her North Star, making an impactful contribution to social change. Please join me in welcoming my guest, Lindsay Glasgow. Thank you, Amanda. Very, very pleased to be here. I love that. We, I just found out this is Lindsay's first experience on a podcast, so I'm thrilled that it's mine. This is awesome. For sure, one of the parts from your very impressive resume is that you have traveled quite a lot to over 60 countries. I find this fascinating. I'm totally jealous, especially now that we're not leaving. I mean, I go to the local grocery store and it's thrilling, but tell me about that a little bit. Where did this passion begin? Where did your love of travel come from? You know, it's interesting because... I never would have defined it as a love for travel because it's not as much about the travel. Well, I guess it is about the travel, but it's really about culture and people. So I think from a really, really young age, um, I've just, uh, you know, always wanted to learn about others um, and have had sort of this, you know, insatiable curiosity you could say for where I fit in the world and it probably goes all the way back to my grandmother and my mother of you know think about others and you know sitting at the dining room table and being told uh, you know there's so many starving people in Africa and make sure you eat that meal and you know those were the days of famine in Ethiopia and so it was just always uh, in my upbringing to be thinking about others and um, I think that brought me just to this curiosity of well who are these other people how do they live uh, and once I sort of you know pursued that interest um, I realized that uh, there's so much there's so much that different countries bring and so many cultures bring and it's not just you know about the people it's the environment it's the history it's the food it's the politics and 
uh, just a, such an incredible uh, space to learn within and uh, really exciting. And I, you know, I actually was able to sort of fulfill uh, this interest of mine at quite a young age. I, I don't know if it's that young, but when I graduated from university, uh, I had an opportunity to go on a game show and uh, it was at the time, it was called the New Chain Reaction. It was a word association game. And I ended up being the grand champion winner for six episodes. And uh, the winnings allowed me to actually backpack around Southeast Asia for a year. And that year was just a hugely uh, sort of shifting uh, point in my life, I could say, like a, a big pivot in terms of my interest, uh, as I said, in cultures and learning. I, I probably learned more in that year than I did through my four years at university. So That's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I was already impressed and now you've won a game show. Like, <laughs> Lindsay, <laughs> what have you not done? That's amazing. It's actually ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> But I love that you then took that and you're like, that's it. I'm taking off for a year and I'm going to go experience like other, right? What is that other? You know, the word that popped out for me, it was curiosity, staying mm -hmm. curious. Mm -hmm. I feel like I really try to be that way in my life and share that with my kids and share that with my audience. Because if you stay curious, you stay open. There's so much that you're able to receive, right? Like Absolutely. And, you know, I grew up, I don't know about you, but I grew up being told, you know, you're so privileged, you have it all. Uh, you know, you really need to understand what others are experiencing. And so that year for me was kind of the first year where, you know, of course, I had seen marginalized uh, people when I grew up in Canada and I had done some volunteer work. Uh, but that I think that trip in Southeast Asia was my first real exposure upfront to uh, poverty. And um, yeah, you know, it was it was that. Also, that exposure of poverty contrasted with, you know, as I said, that richness of culture and history and, and beautiful people. And so it was really, you know, very, very eye opening. Yeah, I was I know my audience knows and you and I were chatting before we started recording, but I lived in Malaysia for four and a half years and. I remember, like, first of all, I, I mean, I don't think I could have found it on a map to start, to be perfectly honest. It wasn't on my radar. Um, but I remember my husband saying, hey, we've, well, it wasn't my husband yet, but we've got this opportunity. We could go live overseas. And, you know, you try to Google what a place will be like. And I remember they had a lot of shopping malls. I thought, okay, but like, there's got to be other things. And I, you know, I remember being on a little motorbike on like Island of Langkawi and seeing the tin roofs and the children running around and it seeing those lived experiences of other people with your own eyes you know smelling the smells feeling the heat or feeling the, the, the temperature eating the food it's life-changing like, absolutely absolutely I um, you know I always I have a younger sister and I'm always like please like travel the world see the places outside of the resorts you know like go and have like the real experiences because I do feel like it changed the course of my life. It changes how I talk to people. It changes how I think about things. So, you know, having that start, it's just awesome. So obviously you've been to a lot of places, but is there a specific country that you loved and something about it that, you know, holds a special place in your heart? You know, so many people ask me that question and it's such a difficult question to answer because every country I've been to, 
has its unique attributes. And, you know, I'm sure since you've traveled as well, you can, you can attest to that. And it's just very, very hard to compare, you know, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Every, every country is just so different. Um, you know, when I think back to uh, two years that uh, I lived in rural Lesotho, uh, you're probably going to say, where's Lesotho? Because most people don't know where it is. It's a small, small landlocked country in the middle of South Africa. Um, I, you know, uh, I, I can say that it's, it's one of those countries that's very, very, very low on the human development index. You know, it's known for high, high soil erosion and degradation, very, very few natural resources, high, high prevalence of HIV. Um, and, you know, when I was heading there, you know, my family was like, why are you going to Lesotho? Do you really want to go to Lesotho? But, you know, what I found when I was there was it's just this unbelievably beautiful mountain kingdom. I mean, the scenery is just stunning. Um, you know, the the people were incredible, just, you know, happy, peaceful, so welcoming to me as a foreigner in my little rural village that I lived in. Uh, you know, big part of the um, culture was music and singing and, you know, those two years just provided so much perspective and they really taught me a lot at a very young age. And, you know, probably just that that overriding importance of the bonds and the connect the connectedness uh, between people, because I was in a village that had, you know, very, le- very little, um, certainly on the material uh, front that we know here in North America. Um, but the people were happy. And so, you know, when I when I think back to countries, I just always think of those contrasts. So, you know, the poverty and the lack of so many natural resources. Um, so, not a place that you would think of as a destination uh, travel holiday country, but um, it just offered so much richness on so many other fronts. And you know, the the coolest thing about it about that country is. Uh, the fact that uh, a high number of women are actually running the country. So uh, unlike other countries, because of the the number of men in the country who do migrant labor and work in the mines in South Africa, uh, there's a very, very high percentage of women in the country that are running the country. So very, very high uh, school enrollments of girls, uh, which is not usually the case in a number of these other countries. So uh, you know, exceptional, exceptional in many, many ways and uh, just really resilient people. So I loved it. Loved it. I love that. You know, you mentioned you've lived there for two years. I'm curious, have you lived in other countries for longer or was that a longer stay in terms of living abroad? Uh, I just, I, I actually just moved back from Switzerland, quite the opposite from my experience at Lesotho. Uh, and I, I was living there for six years and I've okay. lived in Rome and I've lived in the UK and yeah, I, I have lived in other countries for different periods of time and different parts of Canada too. Absolutely. Uh, they've just offered such different experiences, uh, that have all been equally rewarding and fulfilling. I mean, they've, they've all been just so interesting, so And I I have this theory. So I've lived in a few cities in Canada and and then overseas. I'm like, you got to stay somewhere for like two years. You know, you need to figure out where the places that you like to visit, almost become a local, immerse yourself in the culture. You know, when I was living in Malaysia, what there's definitely an expat community and lots of people fly in from Singapore. Um, And I was a little different in the sense that my husband worked for a local airline. So we didn't come back to Canada very often. I came back twice in two years and really felt like 
it imprinted on me, like the culture of it, because you're, I was there all the time, you know, and for sure. I mean, you said you've been through Southeast Asia and so many places, food was top of mind. It was, have you had your lunch, you know, looking at my chubby baby, what's the chubby baby eating? Like, you know, you name it, the questions were about food. And I feel like it's even now, I mean, we share videos of cooking on YouTube and my Malaysian audience is like, you know, bringing Malaysian food to Canada and bringing in that cultural aspect of it, you know, from your travels, do you have some amazing food memories and places that you thought I need to try to recreate this at home? These meals. Oh my gosh. That's a, <laughs> that's a tough, there's so many. I don't even know where I'd, where I'd start. And when people say, what's your favorite food? I, you know, I, I, I end up giving them a list because I just, <laughs> I, I'm de- a definite foodie. In fact, I got, I, you know, on my iPhone, I got just the other day, <laughs> I, I, you know how they just create these little stories for you. And it was literally like my food memoir. And I realized how many photos I actually take of food. <laughs> and they I had love it. A, I know they created a video for me, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, but a specific food memory, you know, it's all, it's, it's hard. What I, what I love about food is just how it brings us. It's not the, just the food. It's just how it brings us together. Um, and it just engages so many of our senses and, you know, opens up those conversations. And uh, it's when we tell the stories, right. When we're all sitting around the table, um, you know, or the, the, the mats on the floor. Um, but, you know, I, I think back to a recent trip I had actually just sort of pre-COVID in um, February, I was in Indonesia and I was there working for another organization at the time. And uh, we were, I, I was there to look at our programming um, in a number of the communities that had been affected um, in Sulawesi by the earthquake in 2018. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but there were, you know, over 4,000 people that were killed in that earthquake and an entire, you know, community that um, literally just disappeared in a sinkhole uh, as a result of liquefaction from the earthquake. Mm -hmm. And so I was visiting all of these communities and, you know, it was just devastating. But then at the end of the day, we would sit down as a team and we'd have these huge feasts of, you know, fish and you know all of the Indonesian um, specialties and I again it was one of those contrasts where you know as we were sort of traveling around looking at the different projects and the different communities and the like really unbelievable devastation that the country had experienced um, to then sit down and you know have this sort of merriment around food and and drink and celebration um, sort of just reinforce how important food is, you know, and it, and it also, for me, it was just a really lovely um, experience, not just for the food itself, but just thinking back to, again, when, you know, I I was younger, I, it was just sort of those preconceived notions of, I was going to go there and eat terribly because, uh, you know, Indonesia was a a country, um, you know, that was known for its food insecurity. And so it was this, um, yeah, unexpected, uh, you know, wonderful experience, let's just say. I love that. It's, you know, I I know what you mean. Like it's, I I had a similar like feeling like when I go to Malaysia, not knowing what I was going to get, what our meal is going to look like. I know I gravitated a lot to what I was traditionally eating as a Westerner. Um, And I, I have this funny memory just popped up as you were speaking about 
a holiday had come up and we like, you know, I don't know what was coming over me, but occasionally I get a little romantic about holidays and I'm like, we need a turkey. I don't even know why I needed a turkey, but I tried to, so I sourced a turkey in Malaysia and then I realized we have nothing to cook it in because we don't have a, like an oven. (laughs) (laughs) My husband's like, goodness. So he's the chef. I don't know how we messed that up, but anyway, and so we gifted this turkey to um, a, a wonderful man that worked for us and he drove my husband to the airport and, um, um, and then, you know, a couple of days later, we were gifted in return. It's just food, you know, being giving and receiving and, the, and how much community is based off of it. And we had turkey korma. And I thought, this is the best korma I've ever had. And it was take this strange food that they she wouldn't normally have cooked with and made this amazing meal. Like just amazing, you Super. know, out of something so simple. So when this episode airs, it's going to be Giving Tuesday. And, you know, for listeners, this is a day that was commemorated since 2012 to launch the season of charitable giving. You know, we're in these high consumer days like Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And I think for a lot of us, as the holidays approach, food is top of mind. And a lot of us are not going to be able to share meals with our loved ones. And so we're thinking about ways to get creative with food and how can we send meals and share the love in that way. And food is like top of mind for all of that. And the reality is though, is it's not always easy to come by for a lot of people, um, especially during a pandemic. So one of the reasons that I'm having you here today to chat is to tell me a little bit about Plan International Canada and what it is that they're focusing on right now. Plan International Canada is uh, part of a global organization and we're dedicated to advancing children's rights and the equality for girls. We work in 75 countries uh, worldwide and always work with, you know, partners and the communities. And we work in a variety of different areas. So, you know, child protection, education, uh, health, sexual and reproductive health and rights. Uh, we do some climate change action and economic empowerment. So all of those issues um, that actually affect the, the rights of children and um, the opportunities that they face. Uh, in their life. Gender equality is at the core of everything we do. And um, right now, I mean, you you know, obviously you mentioned COVID. We can't have a conversation uh, at any time without talking about COVID. Uh, COVID COVID-19 has impacted the environment globally in which children are growing up. Uh, and, you know, we we work on the fundamental rights of children. So it's important to us to look at, um, you know, their health care. You know, do they have access to clean water and healthy food? You know, are they living in a, a clean um, and safe environment? And the reality is, as countries are, are struggling um, with COVID, uh, we're seeing that, you know, there are a number of sort of indirect consequences on all of these children's rights. And, um, you know, since the, the pandemic hit, um, we've had to pivot all of our programs to uh, tackle these areas. And, uh, you know, in particular, we've, I mean, we, we've done a lot of health programming. So we've been handing out um you know, personal protective equipment, and we've um, been working on uh, helping spread the virus with, you know, sanitation uh, materials. But 
probably more importantly to that, I mean, that's sort of like the direct, uh, the direct work we're doing on health, but it's the indirect area. So we know that um, health issues, education and food security have all been impacted by COVID. Uh, we've seen uh, the work of women um, and the burdens on women increase um, in a huge way. We've seen school closures and girls being pulled out of school and you know taking on um, increased caregiving roles. And as a result of that, we're seeing increases in early child marriage. Uh, we're seeing increases in pregnancy. We're seeing increases in gender-based violence. And um, so, you know, we know that, you know, not just children, but girls in particular are being really heavily impacted by COVID. And uh, we actually have a campaign right now going on called Stop the Setback, because it really is about stopping, you know, years and years and years of progress, uh, or the unraveling, I should say, of years and years of progress towards gender equality. We're just seeing things that we've, you know, progressed on over the last 20 years, just literally disappear overnight. So Plan International um, is working to address a number of these different areas programmatically. Um, we've stepped up, you know, community awareness and training. We're uh, working to ensure children, you know, can continue uh, their schooling and, um, you know, we want them to return to school um, as soon as schools reopen. Because you know what we know um, from research that once girls are pulled out of school, they're less likely to return. So we're trying very hard to um, ensure that um, they continue to have informal learning. And you know, we're even working with governments to provide education through radio and online. Um, and we're putting you know a number of different systems in place um, to ensure women and girls know where and how, for example, to seek help if they're experiencing violence. So those are just a few examples of some of the things we're doing. Um, and we also know food security, we've just been talking about food, but food security has been exacerbated by COVID-19. You know, even before the crisis, uh, millions of children were going to bed hungry each night, but we know that, um, you know, with the with COVID, we're facing a much more significant food crisis. All you know, there's it is devastating, and I think so many people are experiencing loss in so many different ways, and it can be hard to look outside your bubble of what you're personally experiencing. You know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, okay my kids are out of school, but they're at home playing on an iPad. They're not forced to now work. And, you know, it's, it shocked me when I was reading some of the findings and, and trying to just imagine what that would be like to be in that, in that moment. For me, that's sort of how I can get into the right frame of mind to imagine yourself in that situation and what that would even look like. Um, we were mentioning food scarcity and, I remember at the start of this, you know, COVID and the pandemic, there was just widespread panic. And I, as I've been vlogging and sharing our life, and I remember there was a moment where I had to check myself because I was like, what, why am I panicking? Why am I freaking out that I need to go and buy all of these things? Um, and I, I did a quick Google because I was like, let's just, Amanda, what is food scarcity? So for the listeners out there who are listening and like, maybe are living a rather privileged life and don't have exposure to it. Like this, you know, it's defined as 
as a shortage of food that may happen when not enough food is produced, like when crops fail due to drought, pests, too much moisture. But the other side of it is when there's an uneven distribution of natural resources for a country, um, governments, public policy, which is where this ties into like what you're talking about, what Plan International Canada and some of the projects that they're working on. And it's a little embarrassing when you you know, you think about how we reacted to some of this um, in Canada. And there was an article I had read and, and uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois mentioned, like, there's no food shortage in Canada. Like, stop panicking. <laughs> you know, this was in April, mind you. But I know for us, I remember I panicked and I thought, oh, I don't have enough toilet paper like everybody else. But then we ran out. So then I bought a couple of toilet hoses, you know, like that we had in Malaysia. Never installed them because, Amanda, get get yourself together. You know, was there anything that you panic bought, you know, having experience with what the world is going through? Did you sort of have weird feelings about how we were reacting with our panic in Canada? (laughs) No, you know, I'm laughing when he he talked about the toilet hose because, (laughs) (laughs) because for those, for those listeners who, you know, who, uh, who are, are used to their, uh, you know, uh, triple fly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they probably can't relate, but you know, that's what my thinking when, you know, I was in Switzerland at the time and we were not hoarding toilet paper there. And, uh, I just really actually didn't understand it. So I was like, well, we all have water, you know, what, what's wrong with the, the hose that, you know, a huge percentage of the world is using, uh, or the bucket. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I raced out uh, not to buy toilet paper, but to buy the face masks, the hand sanitizers, the disinfectant wipes. So, you know, and I, and I can't say I, hoard, I was hoarding, but I definitely, you know, wanted to make sure I had my supply. And, um, you know, I I, I did actually uh, spend a significant number of hours looking for yeast uh, to start baking bread like I think everybody else started to do. Uh, and it was it was off the shelves before I even started to think about it. So uh, I turned to baking, you know, yeast free bread. Um, but yeah, you know, just really interesting mentality. And I, you know, I think, um, you know, the whole panic buying is a, is just, a, I guess, a instinctive reaction uh, that we have when faced with fear and anxiety and uh you know the instinct to meet our basic our basic needs and i think you know it it um it just helps people this is you know the the number of things i've read uh on this topic it it seems to be that there's consensus that it helps people feeling a sense of control in a crisis when you know they're in an emergency situation and they've lost that power uh being able to proactively do something to address it gives them you know whether it's a uh, whether it's um, a real sense of control or not, but it, I think it does create some type of predictability um, and allows people to feel that they're you know somewhat on top of it. But you know what I what I really liked um, about it was it brought me back to thinking about a lot of the visuals we see on television um, in other countries when there's, you know, pillaging and fighting over food drops, um, you know, in countries that are in, you know, true emergency crises over the years, you know, I think there's always been some disdain uh, from people who just haven't been able to understand or, you know, it's just it's such a remote concept for for many of us here in North America. And this is probably like the closest we've, we've come to 
understanding that, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's a survival instinct. And uh, at the end of the day, we, we need to take care of ourselves and our family. And so I feel like it sort of increased a bit of, a little bit more sensitivity to what others are facing, not just during COVID, but at other times uh, when they're faced with food crises. So, um, you know, I do, I did hear more conversation about that, which I thought was interesting. I love how you just switched it. Here I am shaming people and you're like, this is a good learning experience, but you're right. (laughs) Take the learning. Um, But you know, you just said that and I I was shaking my head over here going, oh my goodness, you're right. Like in what other time would, you know, you know, naturally there's poverty in Canada, but to the degree where you're really like the shelves are empty and what am I supposed to buy? And, you know, and I, I did notice too, as we sort of came into this, second wave life now and the panic seems to be a little bit less I feel like it's sort of brewing under the under the surface but we're all coming around to how this works and what we actually need and you're right there is the sensitivity to like what are some of those basic human needs and as you were mentioning before you know the food the food scarcity access to food and how it is so layered and how it impacts girls and women specifically. I mean, I was reading through your article and it shocked me. I thought, oh my goodness, like I wouldn't have thought about that barter system, you know, where perhaps a woman's body is used. And like you mentioned, if somebody was to fall pregnant or come out of school, I mean, the chances of them going back into school very, very low. And we, and I know like in, in Canada, there's lots of talk about how women are impacted, obviously to a lesser degree. A lot of women are staying home, doing the caregiving, helping with the virtual school, their jobs are impacted as well. So I think if people need something to relate to, there's that part of it. Um, but have you found that this is, I mean, it sounds super scary, but is this very common that women and girls are especially impacted by this and food, especially? Yeah, I mean, women and girls are definitely disproportionately affected uh, by most crises. You know, COVID is is only one example, but actually in most emergencies, there are very, very similar patterns. Um, You know, they, and in in this case, with respect to food security, they play crucial roles, first of all, you know, globally in household food security. So in addition to taking care of, you know, household food needs, um, they're also in so many of these countries, the agricultural producers. I mean, they're the ones that, you know, you've seen it in Malaysia when you look out into the rice fields, the rice paddies, it's women that are out there working. So, and they're, they're far, farm managers, they're processors, they're traders, you know, they're wage workers, small business owners, they're all affected by lockdowns. And, um, you know, we know that when there's a reduction of food in the household, that women and girls typically are more negatively affected. Uh, they're the ones that eat less. Uh, you know, they're, the, they're the, the last to eat. They make sure that, you know, women um, and mothers in particular with children, they'll make sure that others have food uh, first and they're, you know, that their husbands have food before they do. So they'll always put themselves last and they'll always take what's left over. So, you know, it often means they're eating a lot less, which is, you know, um, just a result of, you know, very um, harmful and prevailing gender norms that exist globally. It's overwhelming, likely for a lot of listeners as well. You know, 
people want to help. They don't know how to help. Um, but something that Plan International Canada is working on right now is called Gifts of Hope. It's a program that you've set up. Can you tell us more about that and how people can get involved? Sure. So the the Plan International Canada's Gifts of Hope um, are gifts. That's exactly what they bought. What they are. Um, they're gifts that make a difference, uh, not just to the the people that purchase them, but uh, where the the benefits are going. Um, how to explain them in a in, in a nutshell? They're basically tangible goods and services that go directly to the communities uh, that are listed in the in the catalog. So you can basically buy a you know a, a a gift that makes a very meaningful difference while also giving a unit a unique gift to um, you know a family or a friend. And, uh, you know, I always like to say, especially now during COVID, they're, they're a safe way uh, to give a gift. You know, it doesn't mean going out to, to a mall right now. They're easy, they're affordable, uh, and they make a difference. You know, you can do it from the comfort and safety of your own home when you buy these gifts. And, you know, what's really, what's really fun about them, and, you know, I've put this to test with my nieces and many of my friends uh, and their children, is there a great way to engage children in conversations about, about what's happening in the rest of the world? And, um, you know, I think it, that's important because children are not, they're not immune to what's happening around them. Um, they should not be excluded from learning. You know, I, as I mentioned to you early, some of my, you know, my early childhood uh, experiences are what, ha- what have informed me as an adult and, you know, the tra- trajectory of my entire uh, career. And it comes from, you know, that sensitivity to what other people experience in other countries. And so I think these gifts of hope are a great way to introduce, uh, you know, people to some of the issues that we're facing globally. Absolutely. I know when I was, I was peeking through the website and my kids tend to be running through here and my daughter is just animal obsessed. I mean, she's been asking me for a goat for her birthday for about two straight months. It's not going to happen, but you know, she sees the goat and then there's a picture of like a child and you know, you're looking at these things and and it creates this dialogue. It allows this conversation of what life is like for other people. And, you know, I like to use the term abundant and how grateful we are for abundance in our own lives. And like you said, having this conversation with kids, I mean, it surprises me, even though I feel like we're very open with how we talk and how we parent, it always surprises me how well that kids will take what we perceive to be either difficult information or hard to understand. It's like they just break it down and they're able to you know, consume it and figure it out and then make sense of it for themselves and ask questions. But I know that having these tricky conversations is not always easy for everyone and maybe isn't even top of mind to start and when to start. You know, I'm curious, do you have any tips or tricks on how parents can start this conversation? Well, I guess, it's, you know, giving, if you, if you, if you start by, um, um, you know, giving a giving a gift to a child or buying a gift for them to give to somebody else, um, and then you know, walking them through on through 
and, and explaining to them what is the journey of the gift. And we have that on our website uh, on um, you know, the Gifts of Hope page where you can go and you can actually see the journey of the gift. And I think that, you know, that's a, a really, really good way to explain to a child. I mean, obviously depending on the age, but what their, what their gift means and how it's impacting children globally. And, you know, I think we, we've got great stories on our website um, that, you know, show, show the impacts and they, you know, have the, you know, they have some real stories. So um, to me, as I said, it's just, it's a, a great opportunity to start the conversation and um, it's a safe conversation, you know, talking about the needs and experiences of others and, um, you know, what their, what their counterparts at their age might be experiencing uh, in another country that, that, that they're not experiencing here, basically. I love that. How to like create empathy or teach empathy. And, you know, I feel like we're having a lot of talks with our kids about, you know, life's a little bit, uh, it's going to be, everything's a little smaller this year. You know, you've got, <laughs> we've been impacted, like dad's working for mom right now. So life is looking a little different. Um, and my daughter has a birthday coming up and, but I love that, that showing the journey, you know, I feel like we're, we talk like, how does, how does the meat get to the table? How do we, you know, what does that look like? And, um, but also sharing, you know, if there's a piece in that process that isn't working or isn't available anymore. Like they can't get the food or they can't get to school because this little cog in the wheel is gone. And, um, and yeah, creating the space to have that. Uh, I love that. And, you know, we spoke at the top of the episode about staying curious and staying open and, you know, you hope that your kids will do that and pull their eyes away from their device for moments and have these real conversations about the world. And it doesn't have to be scary, right? I feel like we're always talking about that, like just a couple minutes and then you get back to what you were doing and your dance parties and your parenting. And um, and I also really like that idea of letting them gift something to someone else like that. And they're not mm -hmm. seeing, I know our kids are not seeing their cousins. They're not seeing everybody this year. So that's a really neat, uh, that's a really neat thing to do. Some of the, the gifts, when you buy them, you actually can um, send a card along with the gift and, you know, write something on the card. And I actually put it to test, uh, you know, obviously as a CEO, a new CEO, I only joined the organization in July. Uh, I'm testing all of our, you know, different, um, you know, fundraising properties and programs and initiatives. And so I wanted to see how this worked. And I sent uh, three gifts of hope to my nieces and put a little note and, you know, listening to their, their, their feedback, you know, they all immediately uh, emailed me back like, oh my God, this is so great. And, but, you know, I bought them three different types of gifts uh, based on their personalities and just, as I said, tested it. I really wanted to see what, what they were going to say. How is it going to, you know, prompt a conversation? And in each case, it did prompt a conversation. So I know, I, I do know that they work uh, in, in terms of sensitizing children. And in this case, youth, my nieces are a little bit older. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What a fun aunt gift. I like that. <laughs> um, you know, I think when people are thinking about giving back and donating, 
sometimes, you know, people want that, like, I want the tangible thing. I'm spending the money. I want to see where it's going. And I personally really like that. It's like, you put it here. You know, I know I was peeking through and I might get some of the words wrong, but I know there was one for period products and things you can donate in that way. And, um, you know, is there a specific item, you know, we were speaking about food scarcity. I know there's a food basket. Is there something that an area we should like focus more on right now in terms of giving? Actually, thanks for asking that, Amanda, because it is true. We have a huge number of gifts and, um, you know, a a number of different categories ranging from uh, health and safety to water, to nutrition, to COVID gifts, emergency gifts. I mean, you can kind of find whatever it is that piques your interest, but right now we really are focusing on food security. So for Giving Tuesday, uh, we're asking Canadians to help us raise 150,000 uh, of necessary food assistance. So that means we need to basically uh, sell 3,000 uh, food baskets. And these food baskets um, are made up of you know, beans, oil, fortified cereal, and sugar. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they're essential needs and um, they'll be going to countries like Cameroon, Colombia, Myanmar, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Nigeria. And um, the greatest thing about this, you know, this particular gift is also um, what we, um, what we call, a, a, it has a match component. So Uh, we have a match of a ratio of eight to one. So that means if you buy a $50 gift, it's matched at a value of 450. Um, And that's thanks to some of our institutional donors uh, who will match the the gifts uh, that are are bought. So it really has uh, the opportunity to, you know, to amplify uh, what we're actually helping or sending out to some of these countries. I love that even more incentive, right? And you know, it's funny, like when I think about gifts and you know, what do I need? I don't even, like I've got enough. And even with friends, I find I'm I'm not the friend that's going to be coming with the present wrapped at the table. That's just not, I mean, I feel like my my presence is gift enough, you know? <laughs> I like the gift of time, but this is a really neat way to share because it's like you're thinking of people, but then you're also saying, hey, like in honor of you, we're going to be helping a bunch of others who could use it more than we need it right now, you know, and thinking about others and and spending time with others, you know, there's... um, I've recently befriended a senior gentleman in my neighborhood. His name is Jack. And Jack and I are quite, we're like buddies. And I used to walk by his house all the time. And he was just sitting out there by himself. And he say hi to me and say hi to my dogs. And there's something nagging at me. Like, you know, I want to feel like I want to give to others. And I'm also an extreme extrovert. So it didn't hurt my feelings to go say <laughs> hi. And we became friends. And, and now it's tricky because, you know, he's not sitting out on the porch in the cooler weather in the cooler months. But it's, you know, it's interesting with food and how we gift it or how we share it. Because whenever my husband's baking bread or, you know, he's quite the, he loves doing all the kitchen things. It's always, okay, go bring a loaf to Jack. Or, you know, we made crab cakes the other day. Why don't you go give some to Jack? And you know, it's so giving food and gifting food is such a wonderful thing to do. And like you're saying in those food baskets, these are like basic essential items that everybody needs to make those meals. So I love that. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful gift idea. We're also actually encouraging, you know, and I, I'm really hoping it's going to work because I just love this idea and I've, I've seen it done actually even in the movies, but you know, this idea of paying it forward. 
So, uh, you know, if you buy a gift for somebody, then we want to encourage that, that recipient to then buy a gift for somebody else. And I, you know, if it works and people actually participate in encouraging this, you know, pay it, pay it forward, uh, it could really have a, a strong ripple effect of charitable giving, which would just, it would, it would be incredible at this time. It gives hope, right? Which is why they're called gifts of hope. It's a, it's a time that people are feeling like victims, they're feeling overwhelmed by COVID, nobody knows what to do with themselves. And so we've just been really encouraging people to feel proactive and, uh, you know, flip the, the feeling of victimization into, you know, one of being, feeling more empowered and, and doing something that's positive and that's giving and it, you know, will make people feel better it, it, rather than, Absolutely. than, you know, let COVID take over our lives. Let's, you know, switch the narrative and um, change the, the story. Yeah, like you said, you know, as a, as a one little person making a donation, you might feel like what kind of impact does it have? But it's just like you're saying, you did it for someone that's now turned on the light bulb in their head about something that they can do. I mean, even that little story about my good old buddy, Jack, um, yeah. who's 93. Got me thinking about it. <laughs> right. And it's yeah. like, it's amazing how many people thought I'm going to talk to that person on the corner. I'm going to gift, you know, you're making two loaves of bread anyway. You know, whoever gets through two loaves of fresh bread, it takes Absolutely. us forever. You know, and it's like, just donate. So I, I love that, um, you know, that, that idea that, yeah, it, it does create that pay it forward environment. And I, myself, I feel like a couple of weeks ago, I had to switch the, the narrative that I was telling myself, you know, I am done. Like, t- feeling sick and tired about feeling sick and tired about 2020. It's like, yeah. It's not going to change at the stroke of midnight uh, in the new year. Like it's not much is going to change. So how can we not waste this time and, uh, you know, share? And I feel like when you start to be grateful and you and you show kindness, it always gifts you right back. You know, you feel so full from those experiences. So Mm -hmm. I love that we just shared that with my listeners. Before we sign off, I did want to, you know, finish with a few lighthearted questions for you, Lindsay. So we're stuck at home. And I mean, I did not realize that you were just recently back from your time abroad. So mind you, Switzerland to Canada. I mean, it's not so harsh, but I was going to say, I remember that reverse culture shock well. Uh, But at the moment, do you have some favorite go-to meals that you're making or ordering in? <laughs> oh, actually, we, we, you know, like you, I have a partner who's an amazing cook. So I'm so spoiled that he loves to cook. Uh, and I don't, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a, I don't have a go-to. I mean, he whips up an awesome curry. Uh, so I, you know, I, I always look forward to, um, to those, but I think rather than the food itself, it's just the, it comes back to the ritual, like our, our meals have become have become so important because it's the one time that we're able to sort of, you know, decompress, relax, pause, enjoy each other's companies. I mean, we're, we're we were actually joking about it this morning because we're in separate rooms with a wall between us, um, and. I feel like I see less of him than when we used to go to the office. I don't, I, we were trying to figure out how this, you know, how, how we managed to not see each other the whole day, but uh, those dinners uh, at the end of the night, when, you know, especially in lockdown, when you, when you can't be out visiting friends, they're so important. I mean, they really are the, the time to, 
to, um, you know, unwind. Um, but getting back to your question, I mean, there's no go-to. I've just been, we've been focusing on really healthy food. Obviously we're, that we're still very conscious of COVID and our immune systems oh, yeah. and just trying to, trying to do things the right way. And um, yeah. So I love, I, I love that concept of tradition though. Cause I know like you, my husband's cooking all the time. I'm like, every meal is my favorite. Cause I one, I didn't have to make it. And two, <laughs> it's delicious. You know, like last night we had spaghetti madness. It was great. But the thing for us too, is, I mean, there's four of us running around this house. I hear their virtual school all day, uh, but yet I don't see anybody. It's like this five second ships passing, yeah, you know, it's so strange. Um, but we, every night it's like phones are away. Devices are away. We light candles because yeah, we do trying to make, you know, like candles and everybody cheers. And it's like yeah. a thing we do, you know, and it's, it's such a wonderful marker too. It's like, no, this day wasn't all for naught. There was a beginning and an end and we did something, even if it was just making your bed, you know, it was something. Um, so 2020, I don't know if you're a reader or not. I occasionally get a book in there, but have you read anything this year that you really enjoyed and would recommend? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I am an avid reader and I also haven't read a lot this year, which I'm a little bit embarrassed about, but, you know, I've had a, a global move and a new mm -hmm. job and uh, lots of different family issues and whatnot. But um, I did read a book that I really enjoyed called Educated. I don't know if you've heard of it. Have, have oh, you yes. That by Tara Westover. I stopped my life to read that book. Oh, I you did. did? Okay. So maybe I don't need to tell you about it, but maybe, well, perhaps for, for the listeners, uh, it's a memoir of a, a woman um, growing up in a Mormon family in the mountains of Idaho, isolated from mainstream society and um, lacking any formal education. She began to educate herself and you know, she taught herself mathematics and grammar and got herself to um, uh, university. And I think she was, maybe you can remind me, 17 when she first set foot in a classroom. And so for me, it was just uh, super inspiring and, um, you know, just a fantastic story. It was really, you know, especially perhaps because of the area of work I'm in you know, because we have a huge focus on, on education and the importance of education for girls and what it means, um, you know, for, to have educated girls globally, just for the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it just, it really, really resonated with me and it inspired, inspired me. And it was also, there were some heart wrenching aspects to it because of the, you know, lots of tensions between, um, you know, her thirst for learning loyalty to a family with very different, uh, you know, strong kind of survivalist uh, values. Um, and the, you know, the grief that can come with severing ties of those that you're very close to. So not all happy, happy, but very inspiring nonetheless. But it was I don't know, Amanda, did read. you have any, yeah, did you have anything oh. else that... <laughs> I was like, you know, when you read a book and then you're like, I need a person who has also read it so we can talk mm. about it. Oh, cool. Right? Little did but I know. Yeah. It's so true. That part about the education and one woman's story and how powerful mm -hmm. it was and how life-changing for her to actually be educated and change the course of everything. And I do appreciate when everything isn't so perfect at the end of a book, you know, yeah. like you're like, yeah, yeah where's that the Hollywood ending? It's more realistic, right? Exactly. So now yeah. next on your book, you got to read Unorthodox. I don't know if you've heard about that, but whoop, I've I got it. I've, I've got it. Yeah. But I'm currently reading Girl, Woman, Other. 
Ooh, I'm gonna write down. Bernardine Evaristo. Mm. So I've just started it. I can't tell you about it, but I um, <laughs> she was winner of the Booker Prize in 2019, and um, yeah, I've heard tremendous things about it. It Love actually that. has. I started it. It has no punctuation. <gasps> oh, it's fat. It's it's actually when somebody told me that, oh, I'll never be able to read it. But it's actually an easy read, so it has no punctuation. So I can't it's even imagine. Like, that. I know, I know, but when you open it up and you start to read it, it just flows and it works. Oh. And surprisingly, it's much easier than I would have thought. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I used know. to be an English teacher, so I was like, oh, I'm never gonna deal with that with it with no <laughs> punctuation. But it's actually it's very doable and yeah, so far I'm I'm really enjoying it. Oh, that's awesome. I find like, you know, speaking about changing the narrative of this year and I'm trying to create new habits to just take your phone away from your face. You know, when I go to bed, I, that blue light, switch it with a, a book and try to, you know, lull myself mm-hmm. to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you said you're you're working at home, your partner's there on the other side of the wall working away. Is there something that you like to do at the end of a busy day to unwind? Usually a long walk uh, is essential, just getting outside. I mean, we're, we're all cooped up on, on Zoom from seven in the morning. Well, for me, seven in the morning, because I'm doing a lot of global calls till six at night. So it's a long day. So just the importance of getting outside is huge for me and getting exercise. So I try and fit it in whenever I can. And if it's not outside, it's yoga inside, you know, in front of still following, you know, something on a computer screen, but uh, moving right like moving, moving your body it's absolutely moving. it's all about moving and you know I, I'm finding it hard but I'm finding I'm finding it hard to, to connect with all my friends because everybody wants to have a zoom call and I, my brain is mush at the end of the day and I literally cannot handle any more zoom you know after six I am I cannot handle anything else on the computer so uh, you know, even the thought of picking up the phone and anything sort of related to technology, I'm, I'm finding difficult after six. I think it's just too much after a while. Oh, yeah. I love that just quiet time. You know, I'm a big fan of walking, too. And it just gives you a chance to have some separation work to evening and, you know, just shift it a bit. And I think so many people like you are experiencing that, like just tech burnout. And even my daughter last night at dinner, she goes, mom, I have this weird feeling. She's nine or is she, she'll be nine in a couple of days. Um, and she said, mom, I actually just th- throughout dinner thought, is my camera on? Like she had that feeling of constantly being watched and wow. you, right. And I'm like, that's a yeah. strange side effect of that's this. Very, yeah. Very concerning. Yep. Yeah. So there's, you know, and I think, you know, the, the people are, are sort of the consensus is we're all feeling a little tech burnout. So I'll see you in the, you know, when this is when we've all been vaccinated and we'll have a good coffee. <laughs> so Lindsay, this was a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad you made time for me today. This was great. Likewise. Thank you. It was really fun. Thanks again to Plan International Canada for sponsoring this episode. It was a pleasure to speak with Lindsay Glasgow. I learned a lot and I hope you did too. Please click the link in the show notes to learn more about how you can send a meaningful gift with gifts of hope this year. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.